What am I getting at here? Paul was a misfit. When, when Paul was in Jerusalem, even as a, a Jew and an ex-Pharisee, he wasn't from around these parts. He didn't really get how things worked in Jerusalem. In some ways, he was a dangerous free thinker. But he was exactly the person that they needed to take a Jewish Messiah to the rest of the known world. Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Hey everyone, it's great to be with you today. If we haven't met yet, my name's Chris. My wife, Jay, and I, we pastor the evening community here at Northridge, and it's fantastic to be on your screens today. We are currently in week two of a series looking through the life uh, and particularly the public ministry of the Apostle Paul. If you haven't come across Paul before, uh, aka Saul from last week, uh, he is the author of a lot of the New Testament that we find in our Bibles. Um, and so why are we looking at his life? What is it about Paul uh, that we can learn today? Well, there's at least a couple of things. The first one is that um, Paul is one of the most important and influential people in world history. Whether you believe in his teachings or not, the way that he has, uh, the things that he has written uh, and the way that he thought has influenced the church so profoundly over the centuries uh, that it comes out in everything that we think uh, and say and do. Uh, And more than that, Paul is a shining example. When we read through the book of Acts in the New Testament, we find that Paul is a shining example of what it looks like to live a life sold out for Jesus. And so in many ways, as he himself says, uh, we can imitate him as he imitates Christ. Uh, The second reason why I think it's quite important that we do this series now in this particular season of church life is that as we return uh, towards gathering again, I think that we that God is calling us to remind ourselves of the mission that we have as His church, and it's not that we haven't been doing missional things during lockdown, uh, but I really sense that we've been really going hard in community mode. We've been banging together almost in survival mode uh, through lockdowns, through COVID, um, and rightly so because that's what we've needed in this time. But as we move towards gathering again, I feel like God is inviting us to rediscover the mission that we have. And there's almost no better way of doing that than by looking at the lives of the, uh, the, the first Christians and the way that they did mission in the world. Now, last week, Rob kicked us off uh, by having a look at the conversion of, of Paul, of Saul, uh, who is also called Paul, uh, and the way that this um, persecutor of Christians, a ringleader, Uh, in persecution became uh, one of Christianity's most vocal advocates. And this week, we're going to look at what happened afterwards. And it turns out uh, that initially things didn't go super well uh, for our new Christian, Paul. So let's get into it. If you have a Bible handy, why don't you pull it out right now uh, and open up to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be reading from halfway through verse 19. Uh, where the subtitle in the NIV is is graciously located, uh, through to verse 31. And while you pull out your Bible, let me just give you a little bit of context for this passage. So 
Paul, uh, in, in this passage called Saul, has just met Jesus on the road uh, to a place called Damascus. He's radically encountered uh, the risen Jesus. And after this encounter, he goes to Damascus. He stays uh, with some of the, the Jesus followers who were there, um, who were all a little bit skeptical that uh, their, their chief persecutor is suddenly among their ranks. Um, it takes a bit of time for Paul to recover from his encounter with Jesus. Uh, but when he's recovered and ready to go, uh, we find out in this passage uh, what he does next. So I'm going to pass over to Simon. He's going to bring our reading today. Hello, my name is uh, Simon Bales. I'm here to read the passage for today's service. The passage we are reading is Acts 9, 19 to 31. So here we go. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Then he came to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, and they tried to kill him. When when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Starsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Thanks so much for bringing that reading, Simon. So what has just happened in this passage? Well, we read that at once. I love that straight away, at once, Paul goes out and begins to preach uh, about this Jesus that he's encountered on the road. I wonder if you've ever uh, met someone who's just discovered something really amazing and all they can do is try and uh, tell people about it or uh, convince people about it. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a new restaurant uh, or a new dish that you've discovered. Um, I'm sure you know what I mean. Uh, this is the Apostle uh, Paul in this moment. And it begins to go really well for him. In fact, his preaching is so successful that the local Jews decide that they basically need to take him out. They need to kill him to shut him up, uh, which is not really a great problem-solving strategy on their part, but that's what they do. Paul gets, uh, they, they hatch a plan, the, the disciples and Paul hatch a plan. They decide to, at, late at night, lower Paul uh, down the city walls in a basket uh, to get away from the Jews. And you can kind of imagine the Jews showing up in a room and going, 
okay, where is he? Where's this guy? And they're like, we don't know. Well, he was here just a moment ago. Was he? Uh, I think it would have been quite an amusing scene. And so uh, from that point, uh, Paul heads down to Jerusalem where uh, the main kind of gathering of the Jesus followers is. Uh, but we find out that when he gets there, he's rejected because they, they struggle to believe that this man who was leading the charge, persecuting them, had suddenly uh, turned around and was a follower of Jesus. I wanted to stop here for just a moment and think about how that must have felt for Paul. You know, he's being persecuted. He's, he's got the people, his own people, the Jews, are trying to kill him. They're trying to persecute him. And on the other side, the people that he now belongs to, the Christians, the followers of the way, they don't want anything to do with him either because they don't, they don't quite trust him. It's a really diff- it must have been such a difficult uh, moment in Paul's life. To potentially make light of it, I think it would be a bit like being in a, having a Marvel movie and having the, the main bad guy switch sides. You know, you can imagine that that would be uh, a little confusing and difficult uh, to trust Paul in this moment. Uh, and it's not until a guy named Barnabas, whose name means the son of encouragement, uh, steps in that they finally decide to take him in and Paul goes around preaching the gospel. Uh, and then he gets himself in trouble again and finally they literally send him home, home to Tarsus. If you think about it, in this passage, Paul is a misfit. He doesn't fit in with the Jews because he's suddenly preaching about this Messiah who was crucified, uh, whatever that means. Uh, And so he doesn't fit with his own people anymore. But on the other side, he doesn't really fit in with the disciples either. I've already talked about how it must have been difficult to trust him. But on top of that, Paul wasn't with Jesus. He wasn't one of the original followers. And also, you kind of get the impression at this point that the the Jesus followers are trying to keep a bit of a low profile so that they avoid being persecuted, as which is exactly what Paul was experiencing. And we discovered this is a really important theme for Paul's early ministry. He was kind of a cat among the pigeons. And no one really knew what to do with him, so they basically sidelined him. They sent him far away to the town that he was from where he wouldn't be a problem anymore. And it even notes uh, in at the end of the passage in verse 31 that after, after troublesome Paul went away, the church enjoyed a time of peace. And so the story moves on and we don't hear from Paul again for at least a few more chapters. So what does this passage have to teach us about the Apostle Paul? I want to go back just a little bit and talk about Paul's background before he even comes onto the scene in the book of Acts. We know that Paul was from a town called Tarsus, which uh, in good traffic is about a 12-hour drive north and then a little bit west from Jerusalem. Uh, It was uh, a very cosmopolitan city along a key trade route, but we also know that there are enough Jews uh, who were there in order to have a synagogue. While Paul would have grown up immersed in, in the Jewish worldview and in the Torah uh, and in all of their, his people's practices, he also would have very much had um, his brain in some of the latest philosophies and ideas that were coming through too, particularly from Greece, 
uh, who had a huge influence on that area. It was just a little bit west of where Paul was. And we really see that in his writing. Paul clearly has a, a fantastic grasp of Torah and of scripture, but also um, he's able to apply it in, in, to, to Greek philosophical ideas in really imaginative ways. Uh, but the point of all of this is that Paul, uh, from the outset, really has his feet in two worlds. The world of uh, his Jewish upbringing, but also in the, the dominant philosophical thinking of the day. When we skip forward from the passage we've just read a little bit to Acts chapter 15, we find the early church dealing with its first major crisis. You see, Christianity, it was basically a Jewish offset movement. Uh, it, it was very, very Jewish in its roots. You know, Jesus was a Jew, but uh, it was attracting all of these non-Jewish followers. And so they needed to decide how Jewish does this new church need to be? Do we expect our converts to uh, convert to Judaism and follow all of the law uh, and, and the Jewish practices? Or do we just let them come in as they are and just worship Jesus? Uh, and it might not sound like it to us, but it was very, very controversial. It was a big deal. Because, especially because if they were to fully include the Gentiles without requiring them to follow any of the law, um, it was going to really tick off the Jews. And we've already seen in this passage how difficult the, uh, the Jewish nation uh, or the Jewish leaders were being to these early Christians. And it was Paul that came in and really advocated for the full inclusion of Gentiles. And Paul was able to suggest a third option, uh, a really clever way of uh, incorporating these new Gentile believers fully into worshipping Jesus. What am I getting at here? Paul was a misfit. You know, when, when Paul was in Jerusalem, even as a, a Jew and an ex-Pharisee, he wasn't from around these parts. He didn't really get how things worked in Jerusalem. In some ways, he was a dangerous free thinker. But he was exactly the person that they needed to take a Jewish Messiah to the rest of the known world. You know, when we read Paul's writing, sometimes we interpret it through a modern lens as if he was writing to us. And clearly that's not true. Um, sometimes some branches of theology interpret it uh, through a very 16th century frame of reference as if uh, Paul's main concern was writing about uh, grace versus works. He certainly did address that, but that's not the main thrust of his teaching. You know, Paul was a Jewish thinker trying to figure out how to bring the Jewish Messiah to the rest uh, of the known world. And when we read through this lens, suddenly parts of his writing come into focus that just wouldn't make sense otherwise. Now that's great, but what does any of this actually mean for us? So we've discovered that in the early years of his ministry, Paul was a misfit. He didn't fit in, but that turned out to be an advantage for him. He had his feet in both worlds, and so he was uniquely positioned to bring the gospel of Jesus to the nations, and particularly to the Gentiles. And when you think of it that way, it makes so much sense why God would go to such extraordinary lengths uh, to win him over, and that radical conversion experience that we talked about last week. But what about us? I want to suggest 
that in our 21st century, uh, post-pandemic, post-Christian, post-everything mess that we find ourselves in culturally at the moment, that we are supposed to be misfits as well. You know, it is so very easy um, to take dominant worldviews, things that the world tells us, and let them influence the way we live out our faith. But I think it's supposed to be exactly the other way around. I think that we are supposed to start with Jesus, start with our belief in him, and let that shape the way we view understand and interpret the world. Because if Jesus is the Messiah, if God is the King, then it all has to start with Him. There's this fantastic passage I absolutely love in Romans 12, uh, 2. It says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And when we understand Paul's background that we've talked about just now, I think this passage hits even harder than it normally does. You know, Paul didn't fit in and he didn't need to. One example of the way that I think uh, this false, or one example of this is the way uh, that society at the moment tends to view beliefs in sets. You know, when we believe things, they come uh, grouped together. So you have this one belief, which means that, you know, if you hold this view, then you must also think that A, B, and C. And what we do is we tend to put labels on these sets of beliefs, uh, conservative, liberal, progressive, pro this, anti that. And, you know, even the label Christian is politicized now. It, it, it carries with it this uh, set of assumptions that you must make about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, not that we'd stop using that label, but it just means people make assumptions. The reality is that's not actually how it works. You know, you can believe one thing over here, but have a very different view on something else. But the problem is it's so easy to get sucked into these camps and let the world's assumptions about what we're supposed to believe uh, define our worldview. Another example uh, of a way that I think we can sometimes be conformed to the patterns of this world, there's this belief Uh, out there that Christianity is meant to be just a quiet, private matter. It's, you know, having a personal faith is a really beautiful thing, but don't let it affect the people around you. The problem is you can't read the book of Acts. You can't get to the end of the book of Acts and genuinely believe that. You know, Christianity is supposed to be lived out in community. We're supposed to live it out together. And if we really believe that God is in the process of restoring all things, making all things new, then it's going to affect every single part of our lives inside and out. And so we can't give in to this false belief that Christianity should just stay private. You know, we need to live it together and we need to live it on the outside. It needs to affect every part of our being. And so, um, you know, there are heaps more examples of ways that the world's thinking can influence our faith. Um, So how do we avoid them? How do we discover the Jesus way? I'm glad you asked. So I want to draw to a close today by sharing something really interesting that doesn't actually get recorded in the book of Acts, but we find out uh, from another letter from Galatians uh, chapters 1 and 2. If you have a look at verse 31 in this passage, it says that the church uh, enjoyed a time of peace after Paul went away, which I think is kind of rude. They kind of got rid of the troublemaker and then everything was fine. But anyway, 
maybe I'm reading too far into it. Uh, what we, so what we don't learn from this passage, but we find out in Galatians 2, is that this period of peace was actually 14 years, which is quite a long time if you think about it. 14 years between Paul being sent home to Tarsus by the apostles and when he reappeared on the scene and began his public ministry. And these are known as Paul's lost years. What was he up to in this time? The truth is we don't really know uh, where he went. We don't really know what he was up to. Uh, We don't know whether he stayed in Tarsus or whether he traveled around. But one thing I think we can be reasonably sure of is that he wasn't on holiday for these 14 years. Because when Paul comes back on the scene, he has this incredibly developed and internally consistent understanding of the gospel message. I can kind of imagine Paul pouring through the Hebrew scriptures for 14 years, going back over everything he'd ever learned or been taught and reinterpreting that in light of the message of Jesus. And the understanding that Paul developed in these lost years has gone on to shape Christianity, the church, and dare I say the world, uh, even to this day. You know, we are supposed to be misfits in our culture and in our world, but I don't think that we're supposed to be misfits by deliberately being annoying or controversial. I think that we become misfits by being deeply formed into the likeness of Christ. Do whatever you can to immerse yourself in Jesus, whatever helps you to encounter his presence, whether that's reading scripture, time in prayer, being outside, listening to the Bible in the car, whatever it is, whatever you can do to immerse yourself in the presence of Jesus, that's what you need to do to be formed into his likeness. And as we encounter him, we become like him. We, we stop conforming to the patterns of this world, but he renews our minds through his presence. And so uh, as we draw to a close, I want to leave you with just a few parting thoughts from this passage. The first is don't lament if you don't seem to be achieving anything. You know, I wonder how Paul felt in those 14 years when his ministry wasn't having um, a global impact. But the thing is, I think that ministry on its best day is an overflow of character that is built in relationship with Jesus. I think our best work, our best output as as Christians, it comes uh, as an overflow of who we're made to be in Christ. And so like Paul in those 14 years, um, relish in the formation process. Which leads me to the second point, which is don't desire influence before your time. Don't desire influence. Focus instead on being formed into the likeness of Christ. Focus instead on seeking his presence and putting relationship with him first. And he will lead you to have the influence or the impact that you desire to have. Thirdly and finally, don't panic when you're not accepted, even by your close friends. Uh, Don't panic when you don't seem to fit in anywhere because you're in good company. Jesus wasn't accepted by his own people. In fact, they killed him for it. 
and yet he changed the world. Paul wasn't accepted, and yet he went on to change the world. His lack of acceptance became one of his greatest advantages. You know, for Jesus and Paul, their desire wasn't to be difficult or controversial or or to not fit in. It was their deep conviction and intimacy with the Father that led them to have the influence and the impact that they had. So on that note, why don't I pray for us and then we can get on with the service. Well, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you um, that, that when we don't fit in, when we're not accepted, that we're in good company. I want to thank you that, Lord Jesus, you had the courage uh, to persist even when you were misunderstood. And so I ask that right now for those of us uh, who are feeling like we don't fit in or we don't feel like we're understood, I want to pray that you would give us strength and courage. And Lord Jesus, for those of us who feel um, obscure or like we're, we're like Paul in those lost years right now, I just want to pray um, that you would just remind us of what you're doing in our hearts and the way you're shaping and forming us to have an impact on the world. And Lord, I want to pray that um, for those of us who are, are listening right now, those of us who are part of this community at this time, that you would shape us and form us to be people who have an impact for your kingdom. And so, Lord, uh, in all things, we just want to praise you. We want to say thank you that you've gone before us. Thank you that we have uh, the example of heroes of the faith like Paul to learn from. And I pray that you would continue to form and shape our hearts into your likeness. Amen.